in the conversation today. Will heads roll for the Kujay prison attack? Will heads roll for the Kujay prison attack? President Buhari said the heads must roll. But so far, heads are still on shoulders. Here's today's big hard fact. It's been nine days since terrorists attacked the Kujay Medium Security Custodial Center. Um, uh, and in the nine days since this happened, Nigerians have been asking lots of questions, right? So how could this have happened? What lapses let it happen? Who will pay for those lapses? What are the implications for insecurity in the country? And I'm supposed to have two guests. One of them isn't here yet. But uh, when the second guest joins, um, we will also be talking to him. Right now I have uh, a guest from SBM Intelligence, Confidence McHarry. Good to have you on the show. Welcome back to Hard Facts, Confidence. Okay, so um, my first question, first off, is um, this Kujay prison attack, you know, based on the information we have in the public domain, what exactly happened on the night of the attack? All right, so as, as we found out about a week later that um, the, the Islamic mm. State, it's looking like it is, that the Islamic State was Africa province was... Uh, responsible for the attack, uh, it, led, um, it led an army of its fighters into the medium security facility, uh, broke the entrance, and was barely resisted by the security on the ground. I then gained access into the prison facility, uh, spent a few minutes lecturing the, the inmates, and then took away many of their colleagues that were incarcerated, some of them battle-hardened Boko Haram fighters, uh, chief of whom was the chief bomb expert for Boko Haram, but it's unclear what faction he belongs to. And from the available information that we had on, on in the media reports, is that one of the the only casualty that we had in that in that incident was from uh, a police officer who apparently was not aware of what was going on, because according to what we were also told. The, the military contingents that was on the ground before the attack took place was deployed, was redeployed in May 24 hours before, and the new guys on the ground were not entirely conversant with the area. And uh, when the terrorists came in, they received uh, very minimal aid. They went on to perpetrate what they came from. The attack lasted for about three hours without any form of interception from any security agents, not, nothing from the police or the military whatsoever. So, uh, the weekend later, we were told that the, at the camp where the Kaduna training victims were being held, that the terrorists who returned from the prison in Kuji, in Kaduna rather, uh, were, were given a hero's welcome. So it is clear and we established the fact that the people who led the attack was the Islamic State and they were also responsible for the Kaduna train attack in March. Hmm. Now, it seems shocking to Nigerians that such an attack could happen because Kujay is a medium security prison, right? It's very close to the international airport. I mentioned that al already on the show. So for a lot of Nigerians, they're like, how can something like this have happened? How could they have succeeded? Why wasn't there a stronger security presence or resistance confidence? Uh, 
So the, the first, the, the, I think that's, that's a wrong question to ask. The, the right question to ask is that why is a prison that is housing uh, such caliber of prisoners being located close to town? You know, so if, in the first place, we should not be having that kind of uh, holding facility for terrorists anywhere close to an important infrastructure like an international airport because it gives it not only gives us a bad look, it also gives residents in 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 the area a reason to sleep with one eye open. And uh, to, so to answer the question that is being asked, that how could such an attack as uh, how could such an attack happen? In the capital, I, I do think that for any security watcher who has been watching events within and around the federal capital, would see this thing coming by at least two miles away, uh, because I, I should recall an incident that happened in 2020 where the U.S. Africa Command explicitly warned the federal government that the uh, Boko uh, Al Qaeda and the Islamic State are making a play for the South, with their end goal being the Atlantic Ocean. And <clears throat> if you excuse me, uh, Abuja, the federal capital territory, was, according to their reports, in the direct line of fire. So according to their estimates, the FCT could be attacked anytime soon. And a few weeks from a few weeks after that, the, the Nigerian Customs Service released intelligence reports that Boko Haram was trying actively to infiltrate Abuja. So the government responded by situating uh, security officials around five strategic locations within and around the capital to prevent such kind of a thing physically from happening. So at the end of two weeks, the government withdrew those forces. And in the same vein, uh, Human Angle reported that Shekau's faction of Boko Haram, that was at the time when Shekau was alive, had about 400 to 700 fighters between Niger and Nasara states alone. The importance of this angle to the story is that these states share a geographic contiguity with the federal capital. So in essence, the federal capital was surrounded even before this happened. So for terrorists to easily ride in with motorcycles to a medium security facility, get their guys out without any repercussion. It could tell you that, it could tell you the kind of years of planning or months of planning and the sophistication that went in with it. So on one other hand, people are beginning to feel that it could actually be a prisoner swap because the group has asked the federal government to release uh, prisoners. Some of the members have been held by the federal government for years and the federal government has refused to. So some people are alleging, uh, although I do not know the true extent of this, if perhaps the release of some of the victims of the Kazanatrian attack just a few days later was a quick procure arrangement that you could go right ahead to attack Kujay prison and get your guys out. They're not going to stop you. And then in exchange, give us prisoners from the train attack you know so these these are the issues and you could also talk about they also talk about the poor security around the area but there's so much that adequate security the presence of adequate security can do if the people tasked with securing a facility do not lift a finger to repel an attack so there's also the will and also the also the way of execution so right now the most prominent of what we've seen so far in the revelations that follow this attack is that there was no will to repel the attack. This has been made clear in indications by not only the Minister of Interior, but also the President himself. Okay. Now, here's the reason I was asking that question. Mm -hmm. um, because of the casualty figures. Now, we're happy that our security agents did not incur more casualties, right? But the question is, how were the terrorists able to 
take over the prison, hold it long enough to do all they did without inflicting more casualties. Doesn't that suggest that the defenders gave up early? So, so that's 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 a good point. That's a good point to note. Uh, like as I've said earlier, they had time on their hands to conduct a sermon and also try to release other prisoners. Even though some of them uh, decided not to leave on their own, so people who had a few weeks or a few months of their their sentences left, the entire state. So, as for how they were able to do such without any form of resistance whatsoever. It could also feed into, into the feelings of the conspiracy in quotes that I've been talking I, I talked about a few minutes ago, that it might actually have been a quid pro quo deal. Uh, you know, because even the the aid to Sheikh Abagumi had also said that he had intelligence on this attack and he passed it on to the chief of defense staff. And the chief of defense staff did not act on it. So from everything that goes on, even if you read meaning of President Buhari Street and statements from the Minister of Interior, it points to sabotage. So it is this sabotage that many people are running with. And frankly, to be honest, the kind of revelations that are coming in, I mean, even from news reports after the attack, we were told that a particular security officer, I think from the police force, was arrested for communicating with the terrorists, you know. So everything, all the revelations we've been having since the attack took place points to sabotage. But the extent of the sabotage is not really well known. And the, 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 the even sadder thing is that there has been no appetite to punish or to bring to accountability any of the people that were involved. And that is where the major problem lies. That brings me to my next question. The president um, had lots of questions for the correction service and the intelligence um, agencies. He did say that heads will roll. Um, are you saying that heads have not rolled? If they haven't rolled, why haven't they rolled? So we have to first of all understand the personality of the president as the commander in chief and the, the, the sole guards of, of uh, security in the country. Uh, Buhari is not the kind of person that sacks people that have worked with him, you know, uh, at a will. He could give that to other politicians who have led the country as presidents, but it will be very, very difficult for you to. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, in the civil service rules, you just cannot sack somebody. You know, without uh, without especially somebody that has not engaged in gross misconduct. So incompetence is not necessarily a, a good defense to let somebody go. I think Buhari operates within that kind of a, a mentality. So no matter how much uh, somebody's performance can be bad, it's not really it's not really open to letting them go. And I think that that has been taken into account and into consideration by many of his appointees who do not see the incentive to do better. And so, uh, forgive me if I do not really take I do not I take President Buhari's uh, statement ahead with him with a pinch of salt because uh, we have seen if not I mean you could cast your mind back to what happened to uh, the former Secretary of the Government of the Federation. That's uh, David Babachi Lawal. It took a lot and a lot of pressure for Buhari to let him go on accounts of corruption charges. We also saw the treatment he gave to Ibrahim Magu. As I speak to you, we were told that Ibrahim Magu, while despite being in detention, has been promoted uh, has been promoted in Iran in the Nigerian police force. So you can see on one hand that the, that the corruption fight is actually not headed in the direction that we actually thought Buhari was going to take it to. And then the president has not really shown that inclination to emphasize uh, competence over incompetence and, and, and try to build up bad eggs in the administration. So it doesn't really inspire much confidence that the right thing will be done.
Mutala Ibin has joined us now. Mutala Ibin is a journalist uh, from Humangle. Mutala, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi, Mutala. Good evening, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. So uh, I'm going to ask you the first question I asked um, Confidence McHarry, who's from um, SVM Intelligence. Based on the information we have in the public domain, what exactly happened on the night of the Kuja attack? Well, uh, it was quite uh, a night that reflected the deterioration in terms of security uh, across Nigeria, especially in the northern part of the country. And it also broke the illusion of having a federal capital that, ha that was a fortress shielded by the chaos around it. So what we know from, and also what has been revealed based on those who I claim uh, credit for the attack in terms of ISWAP and what the government has said in terms of the uh, prisoners that escaped and those who they, they believe were responsible for that. So he had a multi-pronged, uh, really large-scale attack uh, within the capital of Nigeria uh, that uh, led to the breaking of the walls of the prisons and then the escape of hundreds of prisoners, including persons associated with uh, uh In terms of uh, the total number, the government says you had over 60, they had over 60 people in their custody uh, who were members of the group. Uh, it's still unclear how many of them had an ongoing court case, how many of them were going through other uh, country violence extremism programs that were run by the government. So uh, there's not been a lot of information on who and what, uh, who were, what were their charges, if they had any court case going. Uh, so yeah, it was really a, a, an attack that really showed uh, the fragility of our security and the fact that uh, the capital itself was not shielded from the chaos around it. Why were terror suspects or convicts um, housed in a medium security prison instead of maximum? Because Kujay is listed as a medium security facility. We have uh, maximum security prisons like Kirikiri. What do you think is the reason there? Well, this is quite a, a very important question. And it's really like an example of the failures within the system and the nature and how we manage uh, a lot of things in Nigeria. There's a lot of patch patchwork that happens a lot. So there's a, some of the factors could include convenience. Uh, you have, and they also lack of uh, an, a lot more in terms of maximum security prisons that accommodate these people. Uh, there are a lot of uh, suspected BH, uh, uh, BH suspects that across a lot of facilities, uh, including in Lake or the Kirikiri Magnum Prison and other uh, prison facilities, including in, in Kainji. Uh, so, but for these ones in Kuji, they're there. And that's why, you remember earlier when I said the government has not even told us how many of them had an ongoing court case. Hmm. So, if you had people who you actually have no court case against, they are only being held in terms of suspicion, hmm. uh, then you could technically have them in Kuji because you don't have an ongoing case saying they are. Uh, they are suspect for committing crime ABC mm. uh, in contravention of the Terrorism Act and all that. Mm. So we, there are a lot of things, including the fact that they were probably not, uh, we didn't do proper classification. And that's why a few years ago, uh, the government set up a committee to uh, review all uh, uh, high-profile prisoners across Nigeria, including BH suspects, and provide recommendation. And part of that recommendation will have prevented uh, keeping such uh, individuals uh, in Koji, which was a medium uh, security prison. And we also have the government in building new mag uh, maximum prisons uh, across the different geopolitical zones. So there were a lot of structural, institutional 
and uh, system failures that uh, led to the presence of uh, uh, members of uh, Boko Haram in Kuji medium prison. So I guess this is something that we should have known now. How many of them were actually facing court cases? How many of them were in limbo? Uh, did that contribute to having them there? How many of them were actually under the custody of prison service if they were being uh, managed by other uh, counterterrorism uh, organization. All right. Mutalai Bin is a journalist with uh, Humangle. He's joined by Confidence McHarry, who is uh, at SBM Intelligence. And uh, together we're talking about the Kuji prison attack. Will heads roll for that prison break? I'm Sandra Ezekwesile. This is Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back from this break, I will talk to my guests about what happens next. What are the ramifications of this attack on security in general? What does this prison break tell us about the security and intelligence agencies and what they need to be doing differently? Uh, what uh, What's happening with the railway hostages? Because there's been some controversy over whether or not ransoms were paid what have they discovered listen again when we come back from this break don't go away so first we put the Nigeria info your number one station for talk let's talk I'm Sandra Ezekwesili. Will heads roll for the Kuje prison break? President Buhari said heads must roll, but so far heads are still on shoulders. It's been nine days since terrorists attacked the Kuje Medium Security Custodial Center. And in the nine days since it happened, Nigerians still have questions, lots of questions. How could this have happened? What lapses let it happen? Who will pay for these lapses? What are the implications for security? in the country. I've got two guests with me to answer those questions. My first guest is from SBM Intelligence, Confidence McHarry. Uh, my second guest is from Humangle, Motala Ibin. Uh, welcome back to both of you uh, to Hard Facts. Okay, now uh, before the break, we covered what we know about what happened on that night. Uh, we covered, well, why there wasn't a stronger security presence uh, or resistance. Actually, I have to ask Muchala that question. Muchala, it seems um, shocking to Nigerians that such an attack could take place at a medium security prison like Kuje, so close to the international airport, and succeed. Why wasn't there a stronger security presence or resistance? Well, your question is quite, uh, the answer to that would be uh, more faster when you look at it. So first, after the series of, when we look at it, there is nothing that happens in isolation. Uh, despite the fact that the actors in Kuji were different, uh, we have had multiple uh, jail breaks in Nigeria over the past uh, two years. And so there was already a trajectory in terms of the vulnerability of our custodian facility. Uh, technically, as part of the reforms that has happened some few years back, they're no longer called prisons. They are called custodian uh, facilities so that they can at least, ask, and also when the uh, new act was uh, enacted so that the criminal justice system uh, can be improved, more, there will be more rehabilitation. So what happened there was uh, there were reinforcement that was put in place across uh, these custodian facilities after the incident in oil. And then when the attack happened, uh, the, uh, there wasn't much in terms of the resistance and in terms of reinforcement. Now, let's get something right. Right. No matter the amount of security you have on ground, mm. 
if there is no proper mechanisms for reinforcement, it, just, it will still fail. Mm. So, but in this scenario, the issues around, in fact, the capacity of the holding facility in terms of this put and defensive mechanisms, mm. and then also there's a greater issue around reinforcement. And the reinforcement could be as a result of several factors, including communication, synergy, lack of uh, drills. So, there's so there's another aspect of everything is that even if you have all the parts in place, and you don't get to move it often. By moving it means conducting periodic drills. Mm. Who does what, how how it works, and how you do it in a certain scenario, mm-hmm. daylight, nighttime. All these things you have to rehearse it. Or else when the worst case scenario happens, mm-hmm. then you'll be caught off guard. So there are a lot of issues that really there's a need to look at. Why was the defensive, uh, the security measures around the prisons, why did they fail? Mm. Why did reinforcement fail? And then apart from the first phase of reinforcement, that means why the attack was going on. Mm. There's also the second phase of response. And why were there gaps in terms of the first few hours after the incident? Uh, because that's the most important uh, moment to either track down the perpetrators and the escapees. So that too, also there were there are a lot of gaps there. Mm. Okay. Now let me come to the ramifications uh, for the counterinsurgency. Uh, confidence, I'll come to you with that, with that question. We're told that all the terrorists in custody at Kuji escaped. What are the possible ramifications for the counterinsurgency? Yeah, so in the first place, um, as I said in the beginning, the uh, the terrorists release uh, the chief bomb maker for the group. So um, you would expect that the insurgency that is looking to spread between the north central and the northwest is going to increase in the sense that the kind of expertise they needed for some key projects, you know, that's in terms of uh, planning for major attacks. Is they've already gotten that the the as signified by the release of the bomb maker and <clears throat> as I speak to you today, uh, there was a, a clash at Beningwari in Kaduna between uh, Boko Haram and some bandits. So you do expect that some of those clashes will begin to be frequent as they look to consolidate their gains by expanding their territory. You know, before this attack, we all thought that. Uh, so, so is it Boko Haram and bandits, or Boko Haram and another sect of uh, of terrorists? So, so for now, so for now, we are dealing with Boko Haram. Mm-hmm. For the northwest presently, we are seeing some kind of uh, a, a brewing tough war between Boko Haram, the, the existing Boko Haram factions, that's Ansar and the Islamic State, mm-hmm. and other bandits. Uh, I think sometime in August. There was a clash between Ansaru and bandits that killed about 30 of them, the latter, because Ansaru had warned them against attacking Muslims, and then the bandits refused. And so they killed them and established their their base in that territory. So all we're going to be seeing is that it's going to be giving uh, this this attack now, and the manpower they have is going to give them more more an upper hand when it comes to any kind of clash. And if it comes to a clash between Ansaru and, and Islamic State, it's going to be a lot bloodier than we had thought before the attack took place. And for the immediate effects on the capital, I, I do think that, that for some time we will have um, the attack, the threat level for the capital raised. And uh, because we do, we do know that each time the, this this kind of an attack or a major security breach takes place, you, you do know that uh, what is to follow next is uh, a couple of attacks that, that are going to follow almost immediately. So uh, for now, we're looking at not just Abuja, but surrounding towns, uh, surrounding states, rather, places like Niger, Kogi, Nasara, and the rest of them, including Kaduna. 
also uh, for the short to medium term, the security situation is going to escalate because, of course, they are not coming out of prison to go and sit idle, but they are also going to be used and deployed into the field. So, yes, the security situation is going to worsen, and then the government is going to have more headache on its hands as currently now. It doesn't, its counterinsurgency plan for the Northwest has not really been established like we have in the Northeast. So it is still in this in this different stage. So it would also require a much more concrete plan. And I don't see that plan actually coming right now. So I do think for now that the terrorists are going to be having, uh, having the upper hand and commute around within and around those regions are going to be a nightmare for, uh, for, for, for motorists and transporters. Motala, do you agree with this or do you disagree? Well, first I see... Uh... Yeah, first, we need to be cautious on how much impact uh, these individuals will have. Okay. Uh, first, we need to even understand who is who and what role has each individual played that has been uh, we injected into the group. Okay. And secondly, we should also not see this as in terms of an isolation of the greater uh, change, the bigger picture and changes that we've seen over the past few months. So there's been a lot of attacks. Uh, Outside Abuja itself, uh, Abuja, like I stated earlier, Abuja is living in a bubble, believing that it's a fortress, uh, while there is a lot of chaos around it. In fact, there was a time where the Abuja International Airport was technically being used as a staging area for conducting air operations in Nasara. Uh, so also with the fact that there's been lots of incidents in other parts, including Kogi, uh, Suleja, the Abuja uh, local jail good is like totally Abuja could you know. So there's a lot of insecurity that we need to really look at it as uh, uh, not not each case in isolation, but how does each case relate to the other? And so the incident in Kuji is part of a trajectory that we've seen, and that really calls for uh, something that we should have done a long time ago. Uh, overhaul the system and also understand the fact that military campaigns are no solution for. Uh, operations uh, are not like the magic button for counterterrorism operations because counterterrorism operations require really solving it both in terms of kinetic and non-kinetic measures and then also ensuring that there are no uh, no no fuels that it, it can exploit and th- those fuels for now what we see is the uh, increasing insecurity which can provide a lot of uh, uh, additional fuel for for the situation that we see, and also in terms of like you said, we'll head to uh, one thing that we continue to fail to do in terms of uh, mitigating security risks is by not providing deterrence. Deterrence here include taking measures. So, for example, if Kujie was properly reinforced, mm. maybe this will not have happened. Mm. If Kujie was properly organized, and in terms of how we manage. Uh, uh, BH suspect will not have gotten to where we are because there have been a lot of cases in fact, uh, there are a lot of trials that have gotten to now because uh, there, there are no evidence, so there are a lot of members, people who have been who are suspect of terrorism who are, who are in limbo mm. uh, because we have not implemented even a committee report that has been submitted to the government uh, which has also probably led us where we are. Secondly, even the recent uh, attempt to reinforce security around uh, this uh, custodian facility was not done properly and also got us to where we are. Mm. Uh, totally also, there's been a trajectory. We've seen a, a new form of attacks over the past few months. Nothing was done to really imp- respond rapidly. Mm. And when you mention heads of war, this how many days now after the incident? Uh, no one has been sanctioned publicly. Uh, no, There's not been uh, a government disclosure of a inquiry, a public inquiry mm-hmm. that should have even been led by the Senate Committee mm-hmm. in charge of the 
the interior security, internal security, mm-hmm. uh, with one of the, uh, uh, I think one of the, uh, one of the <clears throat> DPs in terms of uh, and candidates mm-hmm. actually in terms of the Senate. Mm-hmm. So the, the internal security committee of the Senate should be should actually be chairing a committee now to find those who failed to find the. Uh, part of the system that failed, that failed that yeah. need to be sanctioned, mm. systems that need to be fixed mm. so that we can prevent other incidents from happening and then so that we can also reject the internal security mechanisms, including the intelligence community, the police, mm. to prepare uh, for this uh, new, uh, uh, I will not call it new, for, for this uh, current trajectory that we see. Okay. Mutalai Bain is a journalist with Humangle. Confidence McHarry is uh, a security analyst with SBM Intelligence. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this evening.